Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yes, welcome to Sports Day on this Friday night. Adam White and Adam Cooney with you to round out the week. We've got T20 International Cricket from Hobart shortly. So in around about half an hour, most of uh, the audience, most of the listeners, most of the people that are listening now will be uh, heading down to Hobart for the first of the T20s Australia versus the West Indies. But uh, on our program tonight, we're going to catch up with Barat Sandarason with the naming of the test squad for the two matches against New Zealand. And the big news there is that with Lance Morris out, it is Michael Nisa they've gone to as the backup bowler. Scott Boland is there as well from a Victorian point of view. And Matt Renshaw is the spare bat. So no Marcus Harris in the squad. So he can keep playing Sheffield Shield cricket, which is good. I think that's good. Um, we'll also talk a bit of basketball as well with John Casey. Uh, plenty of news coming out of Port Adelaide as well. And there's a big talking point involving James Magnuson as well, which we will get to shortly. The Harcourt's open line, one 736 736 And the temper text machine is 0433 We'll take plenty of calls and text messages, particularly in the next half hour. We had so many yesterday. Hopefully we have uh, just as many today. As I officially welcome in Adam Cooney. Coons, welcome to the program. Good evening, Whitey. Happy Friday to you. And yes. You didn't even introduce me before you started talking about Marcus Harris. Right? <laughs> well, we'll go to, the, go to the important people first. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Now, you were, you were talking yesterday about playing golf. Yes. I, I played golf this morning. Oh, and, how'd you go? Uh, no, no, I was okay. Not great. But we played, this is probably start to get you a little bit confused, but we played the format par. Have you ever played the format par? I've never even had a par let alone know the format. <laughs> oh, it's such a bad format for golf. You turn up to play in the comp and they say it's par and you just want to get back in the car and drive home. It's such okay, a boring format. Okay, talk me format. through it. So you get a point if you make a birdie. If you make a par, you get nothing. And if oh. you make a bogey or worse, you get a minus. <laughs> Gee whiz. And so you've sort of got to navigate your way around and play sort of disciplined golf where you're not playing badly and you're trying to salvage pars and all this sort of thing as opposed to being aggressive and entertaining and trying to make birdies to get lots of points if you're playing Stableford, which is what you played uh, the other yes. day. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a lot more forgiving, it Stableford. Is. You and it's more entertaining. for a par. No, well, no, but if you're playing off, say you're playing off 18, yeah. so a par for you is yeah, actually a bogey. A so, bogey? Well, yes, so if you're playing off oh, 18 and you get a five, that's actually a four which would be two points in Stableford, but in yeah. par, you don't get anything. That sucks. Anyway. Never playing par in my life. No, it's shocking. It's no good. So did you get any birdies? Uh, a few, but it was, um, no, it was a tough day. Tough day. Tough day. I don't even know why I even talked about that. But anyway, the Harcourt's open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 The temper text machine, 0433 So a few topics to put out there, but you might have some as well, wherever you are listening. The T20 International tonight, are you interested? Are you excited about it? So we'll actually see the best West Indian team we've seen all summer. So 
does that get you interested? So the likes of Andre Russell, Nicholas Perrin, Jason Holder, these are the sorts of players that will play in this format. And of course, it is a T20 World Cup year. So are we excited about that? And will we watch it? Or are we, are we over cricket? So that's one of the topics which goes into what we were talking about yesterday. You know, it's a Friday night in February. What do we want to be watching, actually? You know, if we get a choice and you could actually, almost like Netflix, get on Netflix and choose something to watch, what is it that you would like to watch? So that's a topic. You can do the soft drink thing if you like as well um, that we were talking about last night. I actually went to the supermarket last night and I was looking for all the different soft drinks and I did send you a photo of the, the Kirks. The, the, did you uh, find the lemonade. A, uh, There was no Pashiona. There was no oh. Pashiona in, in Coles. That's so, disappointing. Yeah. Anyway, um, so there's that topic as well. And also the James Magnuson situation. Now, I know that uh, the boys on the run home, Andy and Andy, Gazy and Mari, were talking about this, about whether what James Magnuson is doing is the right thing. So for those that aren't aware, and we're about to po- play a little bit of James Magnuson, He's essentially been asked if you can go and break the world record in the 50 meter freestyle, we'll pay you a million dollars US and you can get juiced up to the max. You can put and do whatever you want into your body and you can, and if you break the world record, we will give you a million dollars US. And James Magnuson, James Magnuson said, oh, gee, I'll give it a go. The, the missile struggling financially. <laughs> well, I don't know the answer to that. But it is, it's, like a, it's almost like a reality television show. If you can break the world record. And remember the old um, movie Super Size Me with M- yes, Morgan, yes, yes, whatever yes. his name was, where uh, he ate McDonald's for yeah, a month or something? Month, yeah. yeah, which is just a, a day in the life. Of well, a, I was going to say, general. you and I would just do that without <laughs> too many problems at all. <laughs> just a daily occurrence, a weekly occurrence. But um, but it's sort of like that. It's like we'll, we'll almost have a documentary or do something around what he does to actually do it. So he's a he's a world champion swimmer anyway. You would have thought He had that, the world record there you know, at one point. Over his career that he would have accumulated enough in endorsements and, and whatnot to, to not want to put his body through a doping regime for a cash grab. Is that, yes. Is it a bit tacky? Is it, is it a bit tacky uh, for you? So to me... Or is it a bit dangerous even? Well, I think it's very dangerous. What we might do is let's listen to James Magnuson explain it on SEN this morning and then I'll give you my thoughts. You can have your thoughts and then we'll take uh, calls and text messages on it as well. The Harcourt's open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The Temper text machine, 433 This is James Magnuson this morning. Would I do this for a million dollars US? Seriously, yes, I would. Did I think that they would come to the party with that million million dollars US at the time? No, but I thought there was a potential for it. And upon having time to think about it, to think about the repercussions, uh, to think about the opportunities, that's one thing. Most people, all they'll talk about is the negatives. What could happen? What could go wrong? What about your reputation? What about, you know, the, the kids that are looking up to you as a hero? Nobody talks about the opportunities. What about if this is a new avenue for yes. athletes? What about if this is a new earning potential? What about if this means that you don't have to retire when you're 27 like I did? You can compete well into your 30s. What about if we document this thing? If I do this perfectly, scientifically, medically... Uh, mentally, if I do this perfectly and we document it 
and we released this documentary and it shows no ill side effects, no lack of ability to have children, no mental, physical, any sort of um, side effects. What if this becomes a, a future opportunity for, for athletes around the world? Okay, that's James Magnuson's view. Coons, what's yours? Well, my view is it's, it's irresponsible. And for the, the very fact that there are millions of people who have looked up to him over his athletic career, I, I also think in terms that there are ramifications there with your health. So he said, well, I'm going to do it scientifically. I'm going to do it, you know, perfectly. And, and that, that could all work out well. But that could also, you know, you are putting yourself at risk of um, yeah, deteriorating with your body and health. So it is a... It is a risk for one or so. A million US is one point five Australian. I, I would I would say that ninety percent, ninety to ninety five percent of the population, just your general punter, would put their hand up and and do that. They're not going to get anywhere near a world record, obviously. But I mean, it is it is pretty enticing to to do it. I uh, yeah, my immediate response was uh, it's a little bit tacky and it's a little bit irresponsible because there are things that can go wrong when it comes to doping um obviously he'll have the best doctors and um sports science people to to give him the best stuff so he'll, he'll probably be fine but again it, it does open it up to the general you know the local footy player who sees james magnuson getting on getting on the gear and and breaking a world record thinking well <laughs> no wider aren't coming to test me on a saturday afternoon out at um, Doncaster, I'm I'm going to get the best out of myself here and go and buy something online, and then that can be dangerous. So, uh, well, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm 100 percent across it. I don't yeah. like it. Uh, look, I can understand what James is doing and for the reasons he's deciding to do it, but I think as a general view, I think it is very irresponsible to do it because, say, people watch the documentary or see it happen and he swims really well. There are a lot of people that are playing community sport or competing in community, you know, whether it be running, swimming, all that sort of thing, mm. that won't have the same level of medical supervision that James Magnuson is going to have through this. He's not going to, they're not going to have the same access to doctors, to um, physicians, to nu- nutritionists, all these sorts of things. And so th- there could be all sorts of problems, health problems with the community if they start trying to do this sort of thing. Um, Because we have seen side effects from professional athletes that have tried this sort of thing in the past. So there's that part of it. And there's also that part of it that is we don't want to encourage people, again, in the community, A, to be cheating, um, and B, from from a health point of view. So I think there's two key parts to it. I just think it's totally irresponsible. I wonder what he's actually going to be taking to get well that, to that they're level. the things because that we don't know yes but if it's human it, growth it, well, hormone that, or is it you know uh, or are they just supplements that normal people can take but athletes can't take um i yeah. don't i don't know but as i said so we've got to be a bit careful and and think more generally speaking but mm. to me i think where where we we are exposing a bigger problem is that someone like James Magnuson, who is a very, very gifted athlete who swam incredibly well for Australia and was one of the biggest names in Australian sport, particularly around an Olympic year, is that if he or other athletes are having to give up the sport at 25, 26 because financially it's just not worth it, there's something not right there. 
Mm. There's something not right that he can't. And there are others that fall into that category as well, particularly Olympians, as opposed to an AFL player or a cricketer, that it is very difficult to make a living out of being an Olympian. I think that's, that's, a, that's another discussion that needs to be had, I think. Yeah, I mean, they do rely on funding uh, and also sponsors. Yep. So, and, if you're, and if you're not a world champion, like James is and was and world record holder, then it makes it even harder. So if he's struggling to make a wage out of it at 25 and 26, imagine the, you know, the, That's the exactly who's right. toiled away and just scraped into the Olympic team yep. and is never going to make it to a final. Imagine how tough they're doing it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's opened up a can of worms. Yep. What, what if, if you were to, if someone was to offer you uh, 1 million US uh, to get yourself to a peak condition to break a world record, which one would you go for? <laughs> I just couldn't be bothered, to be honest. That would be my biggest issue. <laughs> would it be the most, the most holes of golf yeah, in one day? Yeah, it'd be more that oh. sort of thing. I, I, I once, I lost a bet and once walked from Melbourne to Sorrento in 24 hours without stopping, well, without Mel- going to sleep. Oh, really? But I did it twice. I lost two bets. <laughs> what were the bets? Uh, and why, uh, how, the, the, how it was probably, probably half to blame because I said Essendon would make the finals and they, they were 10-3 and three and missed. Wasn't in 2016, was it? No, it was earlier than that. <laughs> 2012. I had and to the, walk. you walked from Melbourne to Sorrento? Started at 6 o'clock in the morning and got there at 6 o'clock the next morning. Walked through how the night. How many is that? 96. And then did it, did it a couple of years later and there was a monsoon on the Mornington Peninsula when didn't I was walking pick, overnight. Why didn't you pick a different bet? <laughs> well... Well, because I said it wouldn't happen again, and it did. So anyway, <laughs> so I've done stupid things, but I certainly wouldn't do um, what James Magnuson's doing. Let's get to some calls. One three hundred seven three six seven three six is the Harcourt's open line. Uh, the temper text machine oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Uh, we might start with uh, oh, where do we go? We might go Justin from Wandon, maybe. No, he's not there. He was there. We've got heaps of different things that people want to talk about. Mark from Sydenham. G'day, Mark. You there, Mark? I am. Yes, go for it. Beautiful. Um, Look, I just wanted to speak about um, AFL and how much it's spoken about. Um, I heard a discussion earlier in the week about AFL and whether it should be played in February. And I think we forget about all the sports currently being played that don't seem to be discussed half as much as AFL. We've got, in Melbourne, we've got Victory, who are doing fantastic. In the basketball, we've got Melbourne United that are doing fantastic. We don't seem to hear about them, but we seem to hear about, you know, Clayton Oliver and whether he's at training or not and rule changes. And can't we wait for the season to start to talk about those things? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we don't care as much about Melbourne United and Melbourne Victory as we do about the Melbourne Demons. And uh, this is we are just so passionate about AFL in this country, and particularly in Victoria. We, this is, pe- people love their footy. And when footy's not here, we want to talk about our footy and we want to hypothesise on how our team's going to go, who's traded well and, and how things are going. So... Um, unfortunately, Mark, that's just the, the lay of the land here in Victoria. We just love football so much. I mean, there are some, some other great sports, and we spoke about it on the show uh, yesterday, that um, 
who should own February because the AFL have, have got nothing on in February. It's a, a gap in the market for another sport to be able to take it over and, and generate some enthusiasm about it. But it doesn't seem to have one that's taken the grasp yet. So, Mark, and to Coons and to everyone else, that the responsibility I still think is on the other sports to promote their sport and to promote the people in their sport to make it engaging, to take the focus away from the AFL, which is so strong, and then cricket in the summer. So in my view, it is up to, it's incumbent on those sports that, you know, all the big personalities, the best talkers, the best players and coaches that can promote the sport and to promote their narratives, that's up to the sports. Um, because whether it's this radio station or whether it's Fox Sports or other sports radio stations, you tend to talk about what the listeners want to, want, want to hear. And there's a bit of, you try and give them a bit of everything, particularly in the summer, and we try and do that here at SEN, so it's not just football. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to try and tailor to what the people want. And so if you, it's not up to, it's not up to us as such, it's up to the, these other sports to be interesting enough that will engage the listener, I think, a lot of the time. And I don't think the other sports do enough to put their case forward to say, hey, we've got a really good idea, we've got a really good sport, we've got really good athletes come and actually um, go and watch it or come and listen to our story, they sort of sit back a little bit. And as a result of that, they get dwarfed by everybody else. So I, it's, it's, it's a tough task, particularly in Melbourne, um, where AFL is so strong with so many teams. But I don't think, you know, Melbourne Rebels are a classic example. They got over 20,000 to their first game uh, way back when, when they first started. So there's an appetite for, for high-quality sport. But did they do a good enough job to actually... Um, capture the imagination of the Melbourne sporting public a little bit like the Melbourne Storm have been able to do, I'd probably say no. And that might be a bit harsh, but the reality is we are where we are, where we're in February and we're all sort of waiting for the footy to start. Uh, we spent a lot of the time this week talking about the Super Bowl um, because that's a big event that's starting next week. But what could have been happening this week that could have actually gathered the or grabbed the attention of the of the general sports fan and i, and I think yep. there are sports this is the opportunity for these sports and i just don't think they've taken their opportunity well, i think cricket generates a fair bit of discussion but it's more around uh players individual form and selection rather than discussion on the actual match that's happening. Yep. I mean, you spend a few minutes talking about that, but generally people are more interested in who's going to be in the side, who's out of the side, and, and who's not performing well. So that's the that's what's called the narrative. That's the, that's the build-up to the game of the week. So in AFL, from a Monday morning all the way through to Friday night, we're talking about the games that are coming up. Even on the Sunday night, we're already talking about the games that are to come rather than tending to look back so much. And that gets everyone really, really excited. And then we want to then see what happens on that weekend. Whereas for whatever reason, um, outside of cricket, the other sports aren't great at being able to tell their story to people outside their own fans. So football fans, soccer fans are so passionate about their sport. And I think that's fantastic. But they need to, football needs to get out of their own bubble and bring in the other fans. And sometimes the, the, the soccer fans don't want the other fans. But if they're going to be bigger... And, and be more popular, they've got to find a way to drag in those fans. And we were talking about this with Mark Bosnich last night. When sports are on Foxtel, if you're sitting at home on a Saturday night and you're just flicking the channels because there's nothing on, I'm talking about in summer, you might watch a bit of European golf, you might flick on something else, there might be tennis, or there might, whatever you're sort of floating around. You're wanting something to grab you and watch. And if you enjoy that experience, you watch it again the next week. 
And it might yep. be an interview that has happened on SEN on a Wednesday afternoon that oh, I might watch that on Saturday night and give it a go. So mm-hmm. you've got to, you've got to be good. Um, you've got to be good at promoting your sport during the week that that person that's looking for something to do on a Saturday night because they're bored and they're sitting at home on the couch flicking the remote, what yep. is going to grab their attention? Does that make well, sense? It's, wor- it's the worst thing that's happened to the A-League in the last couple of years. Because I used to love sitting down Sunday afternoon and watching a couple of games of A-League. Now it's just, I mean, worst thing the, option that ever is, happened the option is there. But what? it's just not its not as easily accessible as having it on Foxtel. My view is the worst thing that ever happened to the A-League was that it got off Foxtel. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's, yeah. the, that's the exact point I'm making. Yeah, that's, that, that, that was that the worst, was the worst thing, thing that ever happened to it. Happened to I it. mean, because and now it's just, I mean, it's on, I think it's on Paramount. It is. And so now, I'm not going to have... You want to sit down and just flick through, as Correct. you just mentioned. It's Correct. easy. Correct. It's easier to see. Absolutely. And you end up watching, sometimes you end up watching ridiculous things on Foxtel because you're bored and you're flicking around and it might be... Naked and Afraid, or it might yep. be um, some other rubbish that you're watching because you're bored. So the, the, there is those times when the footy's not on that you can grab your attention, but you've got to read the market and you've got to promote the hell out of your people and your sport to give it a chance of succeeding. Anyway, so I got a bit of a rant there. Um, ben, from, ben from Bentley's given us a call on uh, the Harcourt's open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Ben. G'day, how are you, lad? Good. Good, Ben. Yeah, good. So, just... Sorry, can you got me? Yep, yep, you're on. Um, yeah, so I'd just love to uh, chat about the Harley Reid exposure. Go for it. Um, I've never... I've never seen um, more articles written about one player before he played a game um, than Harley... Uh, we we know the bloke's going to be a star, but the West Australian media has to stop somehow, stop putting him on the back page of the West Australian every morning. It is I've just I knew Nick now knew he was bad, but <laughs> Harley Reid is unbelievable. It is just shocking. All right, thanks for that, Ben Coons. What's your thoughts on how that's all playing out? Because it does feel as a back page story on Harley every day. Well, I feel sorry for him already. So do I. Uh, and he's gone into a. A bubble of in environment over in the West to uh, the biggest team uh, across the Nullarbor and the West Coast Eagles who have seriously underperformed and he is supposed to be the messiah to come in and fix all the problems. So the pressure's on him as a number one pick. There always is extra pressure on, on a number one pick because you're supposed to come in, perform straight away. And he will do that. Like, he will play well. But he's not going to fix all, all the West Coast Eagles problems. They've got some deep deep issues with um, with depth and um, and talent. And some of their older players have retired. So there's some, some leadership issues as well. So they're, they're, they're in all sorts. So uh, maybe, the, I mean, the West Western Australian papers are just trying to spin some positivity towards the West Coast Eagles before the season starts. But, I mean, hopefully... And he seems to be a pretty mature kid. So I think that he's ready for it. He's ready for the challenge. He's a big body. Uh, he's played against men already with a, a small sample of VFL footy. And it's just uh, hopefully he gets that mental side right. So uh, And not to put too much expectation on himself to be kicking you know four or five every week. Yeah, I, I do feel sorry for him. And I think the reality is that with Harley, it's the best news West Coast has had in, in some years, not just 12 months. So they've got something pretty special to, to sell. And we were just talking before about um, promoting um, yourselves and to have something good to, to share. 
that's what Harley Reid is. Um, and it's not really West Coast's fault that it's going as big as it is, but it, it sells newspapers. It has people clicking on stories, West Coast fans that just are desperate for positive information. So that's why it's happening. I hope, I hope he plays well. <laughs> I, 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 and I don't mean that oh, in a no. smart Alec way, but I, I genuinely hope he plays well. Um, yeah, I think I think he will. I think he's at, at that level that, I mean, you have a look at some of the numbers that were thrown up in terms of a trade for that number one pick. There was clubs um, clamouring to, to get themselves into a bit position to try and get that number one pick off of West Coast. So yep. the kid can play. There are so many messages coming through from our conversation we've just had. We'll get to Paul after the break as well. Um, yeah, I don't know where to start. Um, there's some great discussions, uh, great conversation starters. We might try to get to a little bit after the break before we speak to Barat Sanderason. Yes, it is Sports Day on a Friday night. Adam White and Adam Cooney with you. I promised we get to Paul from Camberwell on the Harcourts Open Line. We're doing that now. G'day, Paul. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we? Good. Good, Paul. That's good. Um, yeah, so with the cricket, um, the standing umpires out on the middle of the ground, they... Don't have to check for no balls anymore, and I don't know where that come from. And um, it's all done by the third umpire. They have to check every ball. So I think the standing umpires, I don't know why they took this task away from them, because that's that's always been. They've got to check for no ball. Yeah. So they can take a, they can take a one-third a decrease in their income because they don't have to do one of the you know, more difficult jobs that's always been. Uh, and um, the third umpire, he can have a half uh, pay increase because he's got to look at every single delivery. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Paul. Appreciate it. Um, we'll welcome all people's opinions, uh, Adam Cooney. All people's opinions. What are your thoughts on that one, Whitey? I've never stood as the uh, central umpire before. I've never been in that position makes the job a lot easier. You can focus more on the actual decision, whether the ball's hit the pad or whether it's been uh, inside edge through to the keeper because you're not looking up at the last minute. So I think common sense is that if there's technology there to use it, use it. But it's only going to obviously happen in um, in, in test cricket. It doesn't even happen in first-class cricket. So I can understand the, the, the question but or the statement, but I don't necessarily agree with it. Uh, Brett Sanderason joins us. Uh, he's a very happy man today because my favourite player might be Marcus Harris, but Barat's is Michael Nisa Coons, and he's in the Test squad. How are you, Brat? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know whether he's my favourite player, but uh, I mean, uh, do you? Does he have to be my favourite player, even if even or just because I'm the president of? Uh, the Nisa must play campaign, maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, Shamar Joseph might be giving him a close yes. of his money. But yeah, it is. It's it's a good day. It's a good day for all of us uh, Nisa fans, and I think everyone who is uh, a fan of fairness in life. <laughs> so the squad, Barat, is. I think it's as we expected. Matt Renshaw mm. uh, keeps his uh, mantle as the the backup batsman. And Michael Nisa replaces Lance Morris. And I guess Nisa is good for New Zealand conditions as opposed to being the next quickest behind Lance Morris. Yeah, pretty much. And I think um, his numbers speak for, for themselves. And uh, uh, and I think uh, what George Bailey did say, I did attend the press conference earlier today, uh, that you know there's, there's his batting as well that comes in handy. Like, look, I mean, it's two test matches. 
Uh, and from what we've heard from Pat Cummins and the rest of the fast bowling group, uh, they want to play all seven tests, which includes those two in New Zealand. So uh, it would take an injury uh, for Michael Nisa to, to get in, you'd think. Uh, but what it could also mean is if there is an injury or say, uh, for some reason, they have to rest one of their fast bowlers. Nisa gets in ahead of Boland probably because he brings that batting angle as well. There's a T20 on tonight, Barat. Um, you, you excited for it? The West Indies have got some some reasonable names in with Jason Holder, Big Dre mm. Russ, um, to name a few. The Aussies have got a few out. Uh, Smith, Head, Stark and Cummings, they will miss this series, obviously getting ready for the New Zealand tour. Uh, what's your interest levels like in this one? I know you're passionate, go cricket, tragic, but um, how how, are you, how much are you looking forward to this one tonight and how does it play out? Uh, definitely more than the, the one day. Uh, you know, the one day uh, at, at many levels had very little relevance and even the selectors and Andrew McDonald included in it had said that uh, they were going to look at those performances in the 50-over matches more in terms of what they do for the T20 World Cup, say if someone really puts their hand up, uh, like, you know, someone like Xavier Bartlett for that reason. Um, so, uh, you know, I think there's definitely going to be more interest in the T20 series. We spoke about the West Indies team, which uh, seems to have most of their, if not all their, uh, you know, T20 stars back, the regulars back. Uh, you spoke about Dre Russ. There's Raman Powell, who's had a great run. Uh, in T20 cricket in the last couple of years. Uh, there's, uh, I think, Puran's back as well. Kyle Mayers, uh, who played some test cricket here last year, he's back. Uh, Johnson Charles, who made 100 you know, one day on Australian soil years ago, he's back as well. So it, it's, it's a sort of full-strength T20 team and more or less what you'll see from the West Indies come their home World Cup later this year. So, uh, you know, always a lot more excitement when uh, they play T20 cricket. Uh, over the summer, have you been impressed enough by the West Indies? Do you think it's been an acceptable tour so far for them? There has been calls for a three-test series the next time they travel here. It could be off the back of one man and a couple of brilliant bowling spells. Yeah. But uh, have they done enough to, to impress you? Oh, very much so. I mean, uh, they came from nowhere. Uh, I don't think there's been a, uh, a more... Um, uh, oh, sorry, sorry about that. Uh, a bigger <laughs> underdog story we've seen on Australian soil uh, in 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 a, in a while, to be honest. Uh, for that West Indies team to come and not just challenge Australia in two tests, but win a test match for the first time since 1997, that itself was good enough. Look, but that's the thing with West Indies cricket. Every time they pull off uh, a result like that, uh, a lot of people just start looking into the future as to uh, what it could mean for them, and you know whether it's their revival. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, I think, it's, it, like I said, even on that day, it's, it's more important to celebrate that win, celebrate that victory that they pulled off, uh, because there's so many other factors that go into what it could mean for West Indies in Test cricket. Because, uh, let's face it, I mean, there is there an outside chance that that could well be the last Test match West Indies ever play on Australian soil. I mean, that might seem far-fetched in 2024, but just the way things are going, you never know. So I think um, that not just the West Indies, I was very impressed with what Pakistan did as well in those tests. If only they could catch. Uh, who knows <laughs> which way that series would have gone. So it, it's, it's really, uh, except, say, the one-dayers, uh, the, the, the men's one-dayers anyway, uh, if you leave those out, it's been a pretty competitive summer, not what a lot of us expected it could be like. No, I couldn't agree with you more, Brad. I think that's spot on, and I think... Let's let's wait till after the T20s before we cast our judgments too much on the West Indies. Recency biased, we tend to focus on the one days and forget about the tests. And also, mm. the T20s haven't happened yet. And one is about to start. We've got to leave it there, Brett, because 
Uh, you need to get yourself ready to watch the cricket. It sounds like you need to feed the dog as well or walk the dog. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch up with you again soon. Uh, yeah, it's time for their walk. So there you go. Uh, not the right time to be on the radio. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brat. Brat Sanderason joining us there. So just on that, Coons, on the T20, um, Rothman Powell is the captain of the West Indies in T20 cricket. So they've got three different captains. Right. Um, they have won the toss and they have decided to bowl first in what is David Warner's 100th T20 international. So the team for Australia, Inglis, this is batting order, Inglis, Warner, Marsh, who is the captain, Maxwell Stoinis, David Wade, who is the wicketkeeper. So Inglis to play just as a bat. And then Abbott, Zampa, Berendorf and Hazelwood. So that is your, your 11 for tonight's game at Bellreve Oval. Does Travis Head need a rest? I think he. I, I genuinely think he's he's exhausted. He's had a big year, and, <laughs> and I think they're worried that if he On keeps playing, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> but I think they were starting to worry that if he keeps playing, he'll just lose all form and all confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, mate, just take a break. We actually just need to have you right for the test matches in New Zealand. Just yep. the way that he he really trained off towards the end of the summer. He didn't have a great summer outside of that century at Adelaide Oval. Um, I think he just needs to recharge and get himself going again. That's my gut feel. I mean, he's in their best team. Yep. Um, but they've got a lot, of, a lot of other options that they can look at now before it starts to count again. And then they bring yep. him back in because he tends to fire when it matters most. He had a reasonable time at the World Cup too. He, uh, he did. During, we, we, during and post. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Which part? Which part? <laughs> All right. We're going up to a break. Um, and after the break, we're going to do a sports update and have a look at all the other things that have been happening in the world of sport. It is a Friday night. It is Sports Day on SEN. Don't go anywhere. Now on Sports Day, a sports update for Tyre Power, Australia's biggest independent tyre retailer. Yes, a Tyre Power sports update. Just confirming the news, we spoke uh, to Barat Sanderson about this, uh, obviously just before the break, but the test squad was announced today. And for those that have just uh, jumped in the car on the way home from work or the way home from uh, kids' sport tonight, um, one change really from from what we've seen through the uh, through the summer, and that is that we don't have the wild thing. Mark two, Lance Morris is out with that side uh, with that side strain that uh, he got uh, in Canberra, and Michael Nisa is the man that has replaced him in the squad. So it's Cummins as captain, and then in alphabetical order, Boland, Carey. Green, Hazelwood, Head, Kawaja, Labashane, Lyon, Marsh, Nisa, Renshaw, Smith, and Stark. Adam Cooney. I know. I know we've spoken about it, but just looking at it there, we're, we're happy. You're worried. I can. I can sense that you're just a, a little bit worried. So Lance Morris, as uh, a side strain, significant. Is it more than a hamstring strain? Yes. So bowl- like a hammy, you cut a- back in you know twenty one yeah. days. A bowler's side, side strain's a six to eight. Yeah, it's a six to eight weaker usually. Wow, it's very hard to fix, and it's very easy to redo. Yeah, okay. So, I wonder why it's why it's a, a longer fix than uh, just any other muscle. I think it's where it is. It's larger? No, I don't. You know, you know what? I've I've done a side strain, but not from bowling. This is a true story. <laughs> I I went to sneeze. And you know how when you sneeze, you tend to <laughs> you tend to turn to the side so the the sneeze goes away from people. <laughs> and I so I twisted my body and sneezed, and and oh the pain! It was <laughs> it was shocking, and I was out of action for ages. 
Well, I guess that's what happens when you're so finely tuned. <laughs> exactly Any little right. minimal bit of movement can, can right. tweak it. So you should have exactly. stuck with the story that you're coming off the fence, <laughs> right off the long run, and strained it, taking oh, your fifth wicket. That's right. No, certainly so it's not no that. good to side straight. No, it was. Jeez, it was painful, and it stopped you from doing so many things. It was so restricting for what seems like a a very minor thing. It was, um, yeah, remarkable. It just sounds very minimal to me. Yeah, it side does. Strain. It, it sounds does. like you could just continue on Correct. doing your thing. It does. it does. And I thought that until I did it. And I didn't probably do it as badly as Lance Morris has done it. <laughs> anyway, before we get to some footy news, Graham Arnold has launched a staunch defence of the Socceroos quarterfinal exit uh, in the Asian Cup, as you'd expect, um, branding the tournament a success and vowing to continue with his tactics that he used to try and get Australia's strengths over the line. Unfortunately, it didn't happen for them, but it has been a, way, a very weird tournament, the Asian Cup. There's been a lot of upsets uh, throughout the course of, uh, of the, probably much the whole tournament. I mean, even South Korea, they couldn't even get through to the final. They were sort of seen as the ones to beat. Yeah, there was a little bit of hype about it uh, pre-tournament. Um, but yeah, the, once it sort of rolled on... I think we realised that Australia was struggling a little bit, so we lost we <laughs> we lost right. interest. But we That's all, I mean, exactly they, right. they, there was huge raps that they could possibly win the thing. And uh, I suppose to to go out to, in the quarterfinals is probably a bit disappointing to for South the, Korea the though. Fan. Yeah, in, in extra time. Well, but I, I suppose with the squad, I know there was a couple of injuries um, leading in, which probably didn't help their cause. But I mean, uh, all, all I know was I heard the hype. Yes. Before the tournament, and people were expecting yes. us to at least make the final, or or possibly even win yeah. it. So I think we're unlucky to get South Korea as early yeah. as we did. I think that was probably the 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 biggest trick in all of that. Uh, Sixty to fifty five, the Australians uh, beating or well, the Opals beating Brazil in a Olympic qualifying match. So that's uh, good news for them. So Lauren Jackson's getting closer to uh, another Olympics. We'll talk to John Casey. Uh, quite shortly, actually, after the break, about his thoughts on all of that and all the other things in basketball. And just a little bit of footy news. Bailey Scott has suffered a pre-season setback at North Melbourne, straining his calf uh, at training during the course of the week. So um, it's a low-grade strain, so he still will probably be right for round one. But he's actually, uh, I think, an underrated player at uh, the mm. Kangaroos. What's your thoughts on Bailey Scott? Started to get some good plaudits in yeah. season 2023. He's under the radar think, yeah. a little bit. He's a hard worker. There's no doubt about that. And, um, yeah, really starting to become a consistent player. He's a bit too young to be popping calves, though, isn't he? Yes. That's usually sort of 29, 30. That's exactly right. Territory. Yeah, oh, that's, that's one thing that I have never done. I have never strained a calf. No. Well, I've done about 47 hamstrings. Right. Um, and just ne- about every other part of my body <laughs> falling apart. But never done a calf strain. I imagine it would hurt. No, I've never done one. You pinged a calf? No, I've never done a, I've never done a calf. I've never done my hamstring and I struggle to put my hands even past my knees. You know, touch your toes, oh, really? I struggle to get past my knees, but I've never so done a hamstring. You, so you've, you've popped aside strain, yeah. sneezing, but you've played years <laughs> yeah. and years of cricket and other sports Footy and you've and never done a tennis? hamstring. No, never. You, you are finally changed. Well, I've tried to tell people this. Um, to finish up. You haven't lived until you've <laughs> pinged a honey. That's, yeah, that's true. Uh, to finish our discussion and our Sports update for Tyre Power. Uh, Rory Laird. Now, uh, discussions around how the Crows will go this season. I think they're the hardest team of all to peg, but Rory was on the SEN Network uh, today chatting about what he thinks uh, the Crows will do this year. I can't remember the exact number of games, but it, was a, it felt like a lot playing in them um, of those you know, 14 points and below losses. And if we win four or five of those, we're obviously playing finals. If we win one more, we're playing finals. So, um, 
I think that's definitely the 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 um, you know as I said before the working edge, but it's more so not letting teams back in as well. I think we had about three or four games we're up by four or five goals, and um, you know GWS springs to mind twice. Um, you know Collingwood we had them, and that was a bit of inaccuracy as well. So it is that execution part that probably hurt us last year, and um, even execution in the last you know quarter and, and ten minutes of games is going to be the uh, the part we're looking to sort of mm. um, you know rectify this year to to get those extra wins and with such an even competition it's um, crucial this year. So the Crows had five losses of a goal or less. It was one point losses to Sydney and Collingwood, uh, a two point loss to Collingwood, a four point loss to Melbourne, and a six point loss to Brisbane. They had one win by six points or less, which was to Hawthorne in round six. Do you think it automatically means that if you have all those close losses last year, this year it means that they will automatically become wins and they play finals? Nothing is guaranteed in this competition. You know that, uh, Whitey. You've been around a very, very long time. But you would think the natural progression in this group says that they do play finals. I mean, they've got uh, a swathe of young talent if Rochelle improves, Rankin, I think, had a great year. If he can, again, step up. Key's terrific, become a really consistent player for them. Um, Dilthorpe is starting to get there. Michael Laney, in his, in his first year, played really well. So you just, I mean, you if you're relying on the natural progression, then you say, yes, they get there. And I'm sure over summer they would have done some, some training on what to do late in games to be able to get over the top of some team. So, and that's a, a learning experience they, they would... Um, they would have learned a fair bit from that and they've been educated. They would have looked at some vision from some of those games last year and how can we do things differently. And uh, and they're a, really, they're a really hard team to play against Adelaide, which serves them well. Like They're hard, they're tough in the contest, and then they go and they spread and they've got some, some X factor. So um, all things being equal, yes, they should play finals. Okay. You're more optimistic about the Crows than me. Oh, really? Yep. You don't think they're going to get there? No, I don't. And I don't think they're a poor team. I just think there are eight teams better than them. So I think they're, they're going to be... I'm not saying they won't make it. It's reasonably sound logic from you. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I think there are probably... It's probably seven or eight teams that are looking for about three spots, maybe two spots. So it will depend very much on injuries mm-hmm. and fixture. And fixture, you can kind of have a look at it now and think who's got an easy fixture and who's got a, a bad fixture. But you actually can't until you see it retrospectively because teams go on runs and teams get injuries. Teams that we think are going to be good are poor and vice versa. So you do tend to look back at a fixture retrospectively and say, oh, gee, they had an easy run. Well, we didn't think that at the start. So yeah. um, there's a lot that to play out. But I think it's really, even though I've just said I don't think they'll make the finals, they're not going to be in my top eight. But I think anyone making bold predictions about anything in the AFL this year now is just wasting everyone's time because mm-hmm. it is a it is total guesswork because it is so oh, absolutely either. it is we'll uh, still do it anyway. Time, <laughs> most of the time it is guesswork, and we've yeah. just spent the last five minutes guessing. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that's the reality. I mean, even Kingy, who goes to every single training, um, most teams, yeah. and has a look at their training sessions, you can get a little bit out of one session, but you really, you really don't know until no. you get five weeks into the season. Exactly. Then you can start to make some predictions. All right, we're off to a break. Uh, that was uh, for Brandt. And don't forget, Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Back with more after this, including John Casey and also a bit of a chat on Port Adelaide. You're listening to Sports Day. 
Yes, it is Sports Day on this Friday night for Nutrien Ag Solutions. Going further for Australian farmers, find your local branch at nutrien.com.au. Adam White and Adam Cooney with you. We're now going to talk basketball because there is plenty going on both domestically and also internationally. So we thought we'd, well, Coons, the best thing to do is to chat to the, to the, the voice of basketball, straight to the top. John Casey joins us. So, John, thanks very much for your time on SEN. Absolute pleasure, boys. Hope you're having a good day. We are. We are. We'll start with the NBL before talking about what the Opals are doing overseas at the moment. It, I mean, it might just be my imagination, but it seems to be an incredibly even season with so many possibilities still out there as we get very close to the playoffs. It sure is. It's been a roller coaster ride for a lot of these teams, and we've got an amazing finish coming up, obviously, round. 19 getting underway uh, tonight and uh, around 20 to come and all games are going to have an influence on the uh, way that the finals shape up. So it's been extraordinary. And, you know, it's been that way for some time in the NBL. The parity is just incredible when you consider that four of the last five seasons have been decided by percentage in terms of who makes finals and who doesn't. And it looks as though we could well have that uh, scenario unfold over the next two weeks or week and a half. And like a, a team like the Adelaide 36 is a second from the bottom, but still absolutely mathematical chance of, of playing in the playoffs. So it's, it is quite remarkable. I want to, I want to start by just looking at the ladder now and seeing United at the top with Wildcats. Are they clearly the best two teams in it or are the chasing pack still a legitimate chance? Look, the chasing pack is a legitimate chance, but what I would say is that Melbourne United are clearly the best team, uh, have been all year. It's a credit to, um, you know, their coach, Dean Vickerman, Chris Golding and the team that they've been able to successfully navigate their way through what has been tough times for for most teams. But uh, they're clearly the best team. They've been on top of the ladder every week and the top four has changed every week bar one this season. So, But they've been the constant at the top. The Perth Wildcats had a shaky start to the season and at one stage they were two and five and in eighth position uh, five weeks into the season. But they've resurrected that and now sit there in second position. But I, I really give Tasmania a good shot at it and Illawarra have been the Cinderella story and the Sydney Kings and the New Zealand Breakers both have a lot of talent. So uh, while Melbourne have been dominant and deserve uh, deservedly will get the regular season championship, um, there are some teams behind them that uh, that can certainly test them and in a three-game semi-final series or a five-game championship deciding series, uh, they're going to have to play well, Melbourne, because the other teams um, you know, are finding form. Well, you mentioned the Kings and Hawks on that next rung down. They play each other on Sunday. How could the winner of that possibly sort of affect uh, the outcome in that race for finals? Well, of course, um, you know, the Hawks have got a big weekend playing in New Zealand before getting to Sydney on Sunday. And, uh, you know, look, they can still miss the their fourth at the moment coming into this second last round, Coons, but they could still miss the finals and so could the Sydney Kings. And there's such a great rivalry between Sydney and, in inverted commas, their little brother, the Illawarra Hawks. And the Hawks would like nothing more than to knock the Sydney Kings out of contention. And, of course, mm-hmm. the two-time defending champions have had a roller coaster ride like most of these teams. And, uh, well, they're looking a little shaky at the moment. There's some work to do. But the Hawks fans would love that. Um, you would have to say that there's probably not enough room in the top six for Sydney and Illawarra. So, so much riding on that game on Sunday afternoon in Sydney. 
Uh, what about the breakers? They're sitting just below the playing tournament line at the moment. You mentioned there's around 19 and 20 to go, but the breakers have actually got three games to go in that time. So could they shape it as well? Without a doubt, Coons. Look, New Zealand, I think, along with Melbourne, have the most talent. Or certainly, if you look at their, their list on paper, uh, the most talent. But, of course, they've had injury problems as well. Most recently, Anthony Lamb, their key player, um, you know, he was injured last round and isn't going to play again. So that's a huge problem for them. Uh, and they've sort of had an up-and-down year as well. But um, at their best, certainly they would be in the mix. But now that Anthony Lamb is unavailable, I don't know whether or not uh, they've got enough juice to really be able to challenge teams, particularly over a three- and five-game series that the playoffs will present. Now, I think last time we spoke to you, we were chatting about Scott Ninnis and the fact that he'd taken over at uh, the 36ers and was doing okay. He's now doing better than okay has he done enough to get the job permanently? Does he want it? Look, he, he <laughs> well, certainly wants question. it. Uh, he certainly is pitching up for it, and he certainly wants it. I joked to him post-game when I was interviewing him last week that um, Grant Kelly, the owner of the 36ers, was absent from the game last week because he was unwell. And uh, in the post-game uh, press conference, well, not so much a press conference, but in front of their um, their corporate partners, I suggested to... Uh, to Scott, that given that the owner, Grant, wasn't here, maybe we should just draw up a contract and sign it right now. And his reaction was, <laughs> where's the pen? He couldn't <laughs> say it quickly enough, but he was happy to sign. Now, look, I, in my eyes, he's done enough. I know Brian Gorgian and Trevor Gleeson are names that continually get mentioned in terms of perhaps, uh, you know, being in the running for the job. Uh, I, I think Scott Ninnis has done enough. I wasn't sure. I thought that, that they probably should leave it a little bit longer. But now, the further we go into it and the further you see what Scott Ninnis has done with this team, I think um, he's certainly done enough to deserve the role next season. I mean, in the last four games that they've played or the last five games that they've played where they've been able to win four of them, They've had six players have a season high in terms of points production. So he's clearly had an influence on getting all the players to be able to play their best and also for them to play as a team. There was a disconnect earlier in the season, uh, but he's been able to seemingly solve a lot of the problems that they had and make these players all perform at their optimum. And I think from a coaching perspective, you can't ask for a coach to do much more than that. So I'd say give Scott Ninnis the job for next season. I think he deserves it. So he's a bit of a, a favourite son at the 36ers, having played there and also having coached the 36ers before. Watching him now, is he a different coach? Does he, are the players playing a different style under, under him now or is it more of the same from the past? I'm interested because it's very rare for a coach to come back and have a second crack at the same team in any sport. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, it certainly wasn't on the radar of Scott Ninnis uh, just a few years ago because he thought he was done and dusted with basketball. He'd been there, as you say, as a great player and then had an opportunity as a coach. And he was basically had signed away that basketball was in the past and he was going to move on with his life and his business interests that he has. And then he was approached by his junior club, South Adelaide, to come back and help them. They were going through a tough patch and they really needed someone to come in and be a figurehead and a coach, but also resurrect the club just off the court as well. His family was so heavily involved in the past by his father's input that um, he begrudged, or not begrudgingly, but they had to twist his arm to actually get him involved. And he got involved. He took the team from last 
to the NBL One Championship, backed it up with another good season last season, and then this 36ers job came around and he was asked if he would help out. And he's always said he'd do anything he can to help the 36ers. It's part of his life, a big part of his life. And so he was happy to help out. Uh, and he's really enjoyed the role more than he thought he would. And um, he did say to me a few weeks ago that this time around, he's a much different coach because the first time when Scott Ninnis was coach of the team back in 2009, 2010, he, he took them to the playoffs the first year he was there. And then they finished last in 2010. And he confided in me that part of the problem back then was he listened to too many people, too much outside noise. He was his first go at a head coach's role and he took uh, you know, advice from a lot of people and took it on board. This time around, he's doing it the way he thinks it needs to be done. So a lot of it is his own stuff and just so he, he brought back joy to the players and that was his key when he was announced as the coach. Let's just have fun here. Yes, playing basketball is a job, but it's a great job. Just have some fun follow directions, we'll put structures in place and they are a little more structured now and enjoy it. And I think that uh, you mould all that together and that's what's helped them get the success that they have where, as you say, they're on the cusp of making the finals here, which um, you know didn't seem likely at the halfway stage of the season when they were really struggling. Uh, it, it sounds like he's been able to come in and turn around the culture of the 36ers in a really short period. Would you say that that has been the biggest issue with Adelaide over the past, oh, you could say two, two and a half seasons now. I mean, this goes back to to when uh, Robert Franks, the import, was you know quit, released. However, you want to you want to say it. This has been bubbling away in terms of that that culture for a while at the Adelaide Thirty Sixes. Do you do you think that's been the biggest issue over the last couple of seasons? Why they haven't had success because they've had a really talented roster. Yeah, they have. Uh, you know, two seasons ago, they had the best roster in in the competition and didn't play finals. So obviously, yes, it's not doesn't always come down to the playing personnel. But I think the culture issues that you talk about there, Coons, are certainly an area that they've had to get better at. And Scott Ninnis has certainly helped them with that. I was really pleased to see the front office, Nick Babato, the CEO, take responsibility when they released coach CJ Bruton earlier uh, or late last year and say, look, we've got some things wrong in the front office as well. We haven't done it as well as we could have, and we're going to address that, and they're going to make changes in bringing a, a basketball GM, which they haven't had now for a couple of years. But I, I think it, it did look as though, and they've had uh, you know a little bit like they were a little bit rudderless where they were heading, and they had a turnover of coaches, they had a turnover of players, uh, and they've struggled really to get that culture uh, where it needs to be. Um, but they do have the personnel there to do it. And Jason Caddy is a good example of that. One of the most experienced players currently in the NBL who came to Adelaide. And he's had an influence. Mitch McCarron's had an influence. And it's a credit to those two guys who are veterans, who are used to playing and starting and big minutes. And they've been sent to the bench and been made to play a role. And they've embraced it. So I think whatever Scott Ninnis has been able to do, to do to convince these players that being part of this team is not just about you, it's about playing for one another, is a credit again to him and to the players for buying in. But I think the culture from uh, that Scott Ninnis has been able to develop there in a short space of time is a very positive vibe. And that's another reason why I think he deserves to get the job because, as I say, I don't know if you could ask a coach to do much more than what he's been able to do. And who's not to say that it doesn't get better and they recruit next year a little bit better as well, that they can hopefully get back in the in the mix because they haven't qualified for finals for the last five seasons. 
and 10 of the last 14. So it's been lean pickings by the lofty standards of one of the most storied franchises in the NBL. But they appear to be on the right direction with Scott Ninnis, and that culture is certainly a big part of it. Yeah, John, before we let you go, we've got to ask you about the Opals. Um, they were... I'm not sure whether they were lucky to to escape with the the win over Brazil because it's it's tough in uh, in enemy territory to win, but they did have a big lead there at one point before it got uh, pegged right back. But in the end, they they got the victory over Brazil. What were your thoughts on on what you've sampled? Yes, look, they it was a tough game for them, as you mentioned. They had a big lead, led by 14 in the shadows of half time, and then Brazil got back in front in the last quarter and we're really making a run. So the fact that they were able to close it out and get across the line is a huge win for the Opals because they're in a group with Brazil, Germany and Serbia, and Australia make up the four. Now, three of those teams go through to the Olympics in Paris. So that win today against Brazil basically leaves Australia needing to win just one more game. Uh, and they played Germany on Sunday morning, and Germany ranked 25 in the world. Now, they actually upset Serbia today, so that won't be an easy game for them, but they're now just one win away from guaranteeing their spot at the Olympics, and, and that's just a huge result for them. I was really pleased for the team and the way that they closed it out because they were challenged down the stretch here, and Ezzy Magbegor had her best-ever game for Australia. She led all scoring with 18 points, had seven rebounds and four blocks, and she and Kayla George made two big defensive plays when Brazil were threatening to win the game on the buzzer that got them across the line. So uh, Ezzy Magbegor is a huge talent and is rapidly approaching the best player that we've got at the moment. Um, and as we know, Lauren Jackson is with the 12 and played today in Brazil, and she's aiming to go to her fifth Olympics. So there's a lot for the Opals to play for, uh, in particular, they're number three in the world. And after the disappointment of Tokyo, where they finished eighth, uh, they'd like to see themselves back on the podium in Paris. And that certainly is achievable. Uh, the world number one, the USA, they escaped today in their qualifier, although they have qualified as the world champions. But in a game against Belgium today, they were down nine at three-quarter time and needed a tip-in on the buzzer to win. So, you know, it can changes pretty quickly in terms of the pecking order in world basketball. And for the Opals, um, look, if they can get to Tokyo on that one big step they took today, there's nothing to say uh, that they can't win gold. And certainly they'd like to be on the podium and expect to be on the podium when they get to Paris. Now, Case, we can't let you go. I know you love your hoops, but you're also a passionate footy man. It's been a big day in South Australia, particularly at Alberton, with um, Warren Treadway being announced as the newest board member at Port Adelaide. Just tipped uh, another Port Adelaide favourite in Bruce Abernathy, 50.9% of the vote. So it was a pretty close one. 199 votes separated the two men. What's been the initial reaction from Port Adelaide supporters and and the footy-loving public in South Australia? Yeah, I think Warren Treadray has a lot of support here and has done some great things for the club, as we all know, on the field. And I, I think he brings a lot to the table. And you're right, it was a thrilling uh, result, wasn't it, really, when you consider 200 votes separated them out of the 10,000-plus that were recorded. So, I mean, a lot of people, and George Fiacci, a former club great and former board member, suggested they both should be on the board. And I think they both have a bit to offer. And certainly Bruce Abernethy has been on the board in the past uh, and it would, be, would have been a great addition as well. But I guess a lot of the noise is going to be about Treaders and what he had to say last year when he said that Ken Hinckley had to go. So uh, he's going to have to change his course a little bit on that. But I think he'll be a great addition for Port Adelaide. But I also think that... Uh, 
Port Adelaide's uh, opponents and the anti-Port Adelaide movement here in South Australia, which is pretty strong. Are going to enjoy watching this from the sidelines, and we watch them very closely and commenting uh, along the way and offering advice. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, that's the way that it's unfolded. But I think uh, the Port Adelaide faithful have got a good guy in Warren Treadray and what he's going to bring to the table. Do you have concerns about that, though, given he was so vocal um, about Ken Hinckley? Uh, untenable was the word that mm. he used. So, uh, And now he walks into the club. Like, surely that just creates tension from day one. Well, it's it's not the uh, it's suboptimal, shall we say, Coons, isn't it? It's not the ideal way that you'd like to uh, to have things unfold. But having said that, uh, I don't think that it's uh, when you're sitting around the board table, you need varying points of view. You don't want everyone to be exactly aligned and heading in the straight, you know, the one direction. There needs to be input from all different angles, and then find a path as you as you work your way through it. So, not ideal. Uh, and I guess, uh, you know, the results now are going to add even more interest to it if uh, Port Adelaide get off to a good start and they do have a kind draw and people are predicting they might go 6-1 and one in their first seven games. Well, perhaps that won't be uh, acknowledged as such. But if things start to go awry, then, uh, as I say, I think the, um, the anti-Port Adelaide fans will be having a lot of fun with it and what his comments were. But um, it is interesting, you know, I think that, um, you know, for, for Warren Treadray, when he walks back into the club there and having that first discussion with the coach and when they get together, it's not going to be, uh, you know, fantastic. It's a relationship they're going to have to work on, but uh, it is what it is now. And uh, they're expecting a very good season, Port Adelaide. Um, so... Fingers crossed that it unfolds that way for them because um, they've been close without really having that great success in finals that they've wanted. And Ken Hinckley, I think, is, is a great coach and has done a great job there, but he has been there a long time. And when you've been there a long time and you haven't made a grand final, then you know people start to wonder if you're the right person for the job. But um, it's uh, going to be a very interesting first month of the AFL season for, for, for Port Adelaide, that's for sure. There's no doubt about that. He's such an even competition that... Only a few things need to go right or wrong, and you could be either at the top or the bottom pretty quickly. Just like the NBL season, John, thanks very much for your time. Good luck with the two games you've got to call over the weekend and get ready for finals. It's not far away. Yeah, looking forward to it. Pleasure to be with you guys. Have a great weekend. Terrific. Uh, John Casey, as we say, Coons, the voice of basketball in this country, joining us on Sports Day. Let's continue the discussion on Port Adelaide. Ken Hinckley chatted to Jared Waitley uh, either yesterday or the day before on Waitley uh, here in Melbourne. In fact, Jared's in Las Vegas, but he had a chat to, to Ken Hinckley. And just listening to, to Ken here talking about getting used to the pressures of the position as senior coach, he's had to get used to it. He seems to have been <laughs> under pressure forever, but here is Ken talking about it on Waitley. Very little different. I mean, for me, and, you know, I, I talk about all. The, the pressure of being an AFL coach is there every day, regardless of your contract status, because we do see over the period of time in history that whether you are or you're not in contract doesn't change some outcomes at times. And all you can do is absolutely lock into your best. I do that every year to make sure I give the best of myself to the to the football club and to, you know to my family first and foremost, but then to the football club. And you go, well, I'll do that as well as I can and let everything else take care of itself. And at some point in time... Um, there will be a change of direction for me at some point, but I'm more than comfortable that I'll do my best and uh, as a footy club, we're in a really healthy position. Okay, so that's Ken talking about sort of the, the general, I guess, uh, position of him as coach of Port Adelaide and then just the pressures of, of any AFL coach. 
you, you, you get used to it. Is I'm not, I'm not sure if the word used to it's exactly the right word. You, you get to you learn to live with it. And I think um, the reality for me is um, it, it doesn't it doesn't bother me um, like it once perhaps did. You know, if I go back three, four, five years ago, whereas now I go, you know what? The industry I'm in is, is, is a great industry. It has lots of information. Around, it has lots of talkback that goes on in it. I have to accept that it, I'm a part of that talkback because I want to be in that industry. And now I can just go about and do, as I said earlier, do what I can do best and then let, let the narrative go on. As I said, um, lots of comments get made, lots of things get said. The reality is they're almost a day-by-day comment. So, Coons, you asked John Casey about Warren Treadray becoming a board member at Port Adelaide and the and the possible impact that's going to have. What do you think? Well, I think it's going to be frosty, but I, I don't... I mean, they're not going to have a lot to do with each other. So, I mean, they can get away with it. It's not like um, Ken is reporting directly to Warren. He's just a member on the board. He'll deal with his with footy, footy operation staff and the head of footy there before he even gets to Warren. So, I mean, it, it, it will be frosty when they're uh, in public together and when Warren comes down to the club, but hopefully they can mend that and uh, they're big enough... Um, boys' personalities to understand that Warren wants the best for the Port Adelaide Football Club, and, and so does Ken. So, and at the end of the day, they're under an enormous amount of pressure, Port Adelaide, to make a grand final, and that is the reality coming out of South Australia. Is that they were, um, they had a really per- a strong purple patch throughout the season, but not many really believed that they could get there. And I was a believer. I have been for the last probably three or four seasons on Port Adelaide. I do like the way that they play. They're entertaining. I like the way that they take the game on. I think Ken Hinkley is a very positive coach. And they they seem to have sewed up a couple of the, those, whole, those patches in their defence during the trade period with Asava Radigalia and Brandon Zerk Thatcher, Thatcher coming into the club. I mean, there's a little bit of negativity about Zerk Thatcher during the trade period from people who may have seen him play a few games here and there. I think Essendon supporters rate him a lot higher because they've watched him every week and uh, I think his development has come a long way and he flourished uh, in the last season or so. So I, I think he will be a really handy addition. The, the big one is Asava Radigalia. What sort of defender can he turn himself into? We've seen him... Uh, pinch hit in the ruck we've seen him go forward a little bit but he looks at home as a key defender now he's going to play the rest of his career down there can he become uh, arguably an all-australian defender if he does he'll get great support from zerk thatcher so zerk thatcher doesn't want to take the biggest forward and he was forced to do that at the bombers at times so i think they've got a really strong midfield brigade we understand that at the other end of the ground the issue is charlie dixon he's old he's banged up and he doesn't look like he can move particularly well. So Georgiades is coming back from an ACL injury. Uh, if he can slot back in and they can get some improvement out of, out of Ollie Lord, then they should be looking to finish top four again and give themselves an opportunity. So uh, I will, uh, I'll keep one foot in the door from my uh, positive uh, beliefs in Port Adelaide making a grand final. But it's going to be tough. And if it does go pear-shaped, I mean, they do have, a, as Case mentioned, they've got a really uh, good draw to start the year. So if they do get off to a flyer, then um, anything can happen. But if it goes the other way, then Ken's in some strife. I couldn't agree with you more with Zerk Thatcher. I think he's exactly what Port Adelaide needs, and he is a third defender. That's what he is, third tall defender, and he'll get that chance at least at the start of this year until the injuries come because injuries always come everywhere. Um, The thing with Treadray is that when the comments were made, Port Adelaide wasn't a very good footy team. 
And so things can change. And I'd actually like Warren Treadrader come out now and say, well, I thought that at the time, but yeah. Ken Hinckley and Port Adelaide did a lot right after I made those comments. So I probably don't have the same feeling now because people are allowed to change their mind on things, particularly if mm. things happen in in between comments. Well, how many did they win in a row Is before those comments? Lots. 14, was yeah, it? <laughs> a massive amount. So I think we've got to be a little bit careful in pinning uh, treaders on comments that were made a long time ago. And yep. um, and I think Ken Hinckley deserves a clean slate from Warren Treadray, but I think Warren Treadray needs to come out and, and say something. We need to take well, a break. I think he will. I think he yeah. will. And and if he does, he could get off to a great start at the Port AGM tonight if they do yeah. announce it. Well, that's that he's point. in. It would be a great opportunity for him to say publicly that, that he does back Ken Hinckley and what he did during the back end or middle to back end of the season was really strong. All right, we need to take a break. This is Sports Day for Kia. Epic has arrived. The all-electric seven-seat Kia EV9. And, of course, you can always give us a call on the Harcourts open line for all things real estate. Speak to Harcourts. More Sports Day after this. This is Sports Day for Kia. Epic has arrived. The all-electric seven-seat Kia EV9. Now, Jake Fraser-McGurk has certainly been in the news, and he chatted to the SEN Breakfast guys this morning. Before we hear the interview, I am just I think we've got to be a little bit careful with Jake Fraser-McGurk, Coons. He's an exciting player. There's no doubt about that. He can do some pretty special things. But he's miles off being a permanent member of the national team. and In which format? Uh, well, certainly I believe in, in test cricket, which is yeah, yeah, um, yep. for first-class cricket. But I even think in a one-day situation, doing something really good against the West Indies really doesn't carry a lot of weight when they only made 87 he can go out and play the way he did. So I think he's still got a significant amount to, to prove. And I think he's got to do that first at first-class level or list-A level before we're talking about him being a permanent member of the Australian team or being fast-tracked. Because if we go too big on the hype, what happens then straight away? Everyone chops him down. And I just think that as exciting as he is, we've got to be very careful because he hasn't done a lot and he's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of time left. He's only 21 years of age. But talking about fast-tracking someone... I think can be pretty dangerous. And that, that's, I know Ricky Ponting said that, and Ricky knows a lot more about things than I do. But even watching him play in the Marsh Cup yesterday against Victoria, I, I just reckon the pressure's going to start to build on him really quickly. And I think that's the, that's the absolute least thing he needs to be concerned yeah. about. And I guess when you when you burst onto the scene as he um, as he is at the moment, that, that you start to believe that... You're, you're an entertainer and you have to go out Correct. there and you've got to hit the ball as hard as you Correct. can. And I've got to hit a six each over so people uh, yep. keep appreciating what I'm doing and I'm, I'm the guy who's got to do it. And then you can get yourself into trouble. So he's just got to temper his own yes. expectations a bit. He doesn't have to do You don't have to hit 20 off each over. Yep. You've just, you, you can, you know, settle yourself down, get yourself in. But at the moment, we saw, what did he get out for 10? He hit a massive six uh, in the first uh, one-day international against yep. West Indies. He hit a huge six, and then he was gone straight away. So he's got a little bit to learn. There's no doubt about that. But I suppose we, we were probably saying the same thing about David Warner when he burst onto the scene. Maybe. I think David Warner had done a little bit more. Um, so I, I, I know what you're saying, and I don't think you're necessarily wrong uh, because he has very similar um, skill, a very similar skill set. But I'd still like to see Fraser McGurk do it a little bit more at the lower level first. I think it was a very clever play, him going to South Australia, because he wasn't going to get a game for Victoria, and he probably wouldn't have got a game for any other state. But South Australia are weak in the batting, and they are prepared to try a few different things. They've got a very good bowling group, South Australia, but their batting, particularly when you take Head and Carey out, 
for most of the season. It is a little bit weak, so he's got his opportunity there. I just think he's got to just work on his craft for a bit longer before he goes too hard. As you said, too hard too soon. Wants to be a, an entertainer first, a cricketer second, yeah, and then we just lose it. Out, yep. and, and then we, he just loses it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, let's have a listen. It. Let's have a listen to Jake because, as I said, he, he spoke to the Breakfast Boys uh, this morning, and here are his thoughts. Jake Fraser McGurk. Hey, Jake. Welcome back to the program. Appreciate it. Hey, lads. Thanks for having me again. Missed out. Missed out yesterday. Yeah, missed out. Um, it's it's going to happen with um, the way I play, but yeah, you take it on and um, hopefully the uh, the highs are better than the lows. Yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's a great attitude. I mean, even when you're chasing a low total in the 80s against the West Indies the other day, you just had a crack and finished things nice and early. How, how do you reconcile the, the risk versus reward with the way that you bat and are you like are you trying to hit a four every ball? Like, take us through that. It looks like it. I'm sort of just watching the ball as hard as I can, and I know the field in in obviously in my head because it's I've had a look at it. But um, you get some sort of an idea of where they're going to bowl it um with the field and sort of what their plans are and how they're going to try and get you out. So it's just about combating that with with some um with some aggression is the way I go about it. Jake, it's exciting to watch it. I've got to say that. It's uh, from a guy who knows nothing about cricket and was awful at cricket. What you do is quite brilliant. Would you say you're a cricket lover? Are you one of the Julios or the Jocks? They used to talk about this with the Australian uh, test team all the time. Where, where do you sit? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a closet nuffy. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd always get around and, and watch games um, when my mates are playing and stuff, but I don't usually sit behind like the TV and watch hours of it. But you, but uh, you, you follow it yeah. closely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know what's going on. I know ladders, all that sort of stuff. I know stats, but that's about it. Mm. What What's the review process like? I mean, how do you review your performances? Uh, how much vision is used? And you mentioned stats. So what what goes into reviewing your strengths and weaknesses? And how much time do you put into that? I put a little bit of time in personally. Um, just have a look at at the um, footage and obviously just see where, what positions I'm in um, and sort of ask myself, was my processes right every single ball? Um, and if I see any issues, I just go straight to one of the coaches and um, and ask them something but and get their thoughts. But that's really much about it. Ricky Ponting has drawn similarities between yourself and an, an early Dave Warner and thinks you should be in all three formats of the game for the Aussies. What were your thoughts when you heard that? Yeah, you're not going to be sad when Ricky says that about you, are you? So um, I, was, I was pretty happy about that. But, uh, yeah, well, let's just sort of keep going at next game as it comes. Um, I think the next game's against Queensland, so just more worried about that at the moment. Are you disappointed not to be in the T20 squad today? Like, we'd love to have a look at you. And... and I was flat that Steve Smith opted to to bowl the other day. I thought, well, at least give us 50 overs with the bat and, and let's have a look. But when you didn't get the call up for today's T20 squad, were you disappointed in that? Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say disappointed. I was sort of. I was. I don't know. I was. I was maybe expecting like a tap on the shoulder or something. But mm. I was. Um, I wasn't disappointed because I sort of knew the squad that they had picked already um and you know they're looking towards that world cup with some 
some really good players in that. So that's a pretty heavy, um, heavy lineup. Do you get like some athletes crave feedback? Um, do, do you crave the feedback, and and do you do you get enough? I, think, I guess in the past there's been some criticism where cricketers have been left in the dark a little bit by selectors. Who gives you the feedback, and do you get enough? Um, I wouldn't say I crave a, a whole lot of feedback. Um, just sort of what I need, and if I if I need sort of anything, I'd go to them. Um, I don't I don't really need a heap of. Um, of feedback came, but yeah, mm. I think it's just sort of try and keep it a bit relaxed and not fill my head up with, with heaps of um, things which are going on. I'll get the feeling a GoPro strapped to you for the weekend would be all right, Jake. You're getting away from cricket. Tell us about the person that you are. What, what What's the perfect weekend? What do you get up to? Uh, a lot of golf. Um, probably just, you know, play, play a nice round of golf, sit at the pub with a few mates, have a nice dinner. Um, and maybe even just watch a bit of a bit of the cricket um, that's probably on. But mm. yeah, I'm a pretty relaxed going guy. Not um, don't get up to a heap of stuff. But yeah, perfect. Do you, do you get into other sports? Are you, are you a sports fan? And, and what are your interests outside of cricket, sporting wise? I like the footy. Um, I go for Hawthorne, so I've been following them since I was pretty much born. Um, mm. Yeah, been through some highs and lows there, but. Um, yeah, I, I pretty much enjoy maybe just the footy. I'm not really an American sports fan either, so, yeah. yeah. Well, a lot, a lot of highs at uh, your 21, so you would have seen some some good time as, as a Hawks fan recently. Who's Guernsey did, did you have? Who was your favourite? Oh, I, I was wearing, um, obviously, Buddy and um, late Luke Bruce. Because yeah, when, oh. I, when I played footy, I was a bit of a, a small forward, sort of like golf sneak thing. Have they got you down there recently? Like, yeah. has Sam Mitchell called you in? Nah, nah. I, um, make I, was, a I don't think I actually had a lot of time, but um, I know a few <laughs> of the Hawks boys, and, and they're really good blokes, like Dylan, um, Dillmore and Mitchell yeah. Lewis. So, um, yeah, I see them out and about um, occasionally. Nice. You'll be the number one to get hold of soon. Hey, mate, you're always generous with your time. I know it's been a whirlwind. You've done a lot of media. You've played a lot of cricket. Uh, we're really excited, mate, and um, look forward to following you for the next 10 to 15 years. It's going to be a wild ride. appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, boys. appreciate you having me on again. There you go. Jake Fraser-McGurk there on SEN Breakfast from this morning. We are here for Nutrien Ag Solutions. Going further for Australian farmers, find your local branch at nutrien.com.au. More Sports Day after this. Welcome back to Sports Day. All the latest sports news today is brought to you by Brandt Equipment. Brandt are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Now, also, here's a quick community update thanks to Firecoat. Be alert and prepared this bushfire season. Stay up to date on all bushfire warnings online with Vic Emergency. Visit emergency.vic.gov.au. That update was thanks to new Firecoat, the first paint proven to protect property in high-risk fire conditions. Available at Bunnings Warehouse. Now, to finish up the program today, we're going to go back to Liam Duggan. Uh, I'm going to say one of West Coast's most important players because I think (laughs) he's pretty much in that category now who's had a few injury issues over the last couple of years, a real leader at the Eagles, and he caught up on SEN Afternoons today. Uh, Welcome to you, Liam. Great to have you on. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for having me, mate. It's good to have you on. It's a big year coming up for you. You're a leader, you're a co-captain, so it's a massive year to try and... And lead this team from the bottom up? 
It is, mate. It is, yeah. We've uh, we've obviously had a, a couple of years um, not up to standard, so we're uh, yeah we're, we're looking forward. We're um, we're well and truly into the build, and uh, yeah, there's some some good signs and some good energy around the football club at the moment. Where do you think your improvement's going to come from then? Uh, you mentioned Harley Mania. Uh, <laughs> I, won't, I won't put that on him, but um, no, we, we, obviously we, we've um, we've focused on on a really healthy list, and, and we've been able to get through this stage of the preseason uh, fairly well unscathed, and we've got a couple of. Uh, of decent players looking to return in the, in the early parts of the year too, which is exciting for us. But uh, we, we feel we're, we're much more footy ready at the moment than what we have been probably previously. And uh, we, we've really hiked up the minutes in terms of match simulation and, and really competitive type drills. So we, we feel we'll be ready uh, come the start of the season to, to match it with the best. You've been pretty durable, 22 and 20 games in the last two years. But as you mentioned, there's been a lot of other guys that have been injured. Has that been players unconsciously? Because no one does it deliberately letting their training standards slip, their prep for their body standards slip a little, or has it been just not having the right... Well, what has it been? Yeah, it's hard to put the finger on, mate. I, I believe a lot of them uh, were actually were quite unlucky. I think back to some of the injuries that we had this time last year. We had a, a ruptured spleen. We had a uh, broken esophagus or something like that, and uh, plenty of those contact injuries as well that you just can't avoid sometimes. So I feel like we, we did get a little bit unlucky with a few of those injuries, and then Obviously, we uh, we were still quite an ageing list uh, last year as well, and, and older blokes tend to sometimes break down a little bit too when the load becomes too much, and and you're relying on blokes too too much as well because of the the health of the list. So, I think there's a little bit of a, a mixture of that that unluckiness, and and obviously we 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 really stripped back and, and had a good look into um, why some of those soft tissue injuries were happening. I'm not sure what the exact reason for those are, but sometimes you do just get unlucky in footy. So, do you have the list to make the eight? I presume you would like to make the eight, but do you have the list to make it? We we would love to make the eight. That, that won't be our goal. Our, our goal will be to, to continue to develop and improve and, and uh, I suppose bounce back from where we have been those last couple of years. But, um, mate, I, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic with our list at the moment. We've got we've got 22 blokes under 22 and a lot of those players have now experienced uh, senior AFL football and they haven't, unfortunately, experienced uh, much success just yet, but I think they'll be better off for the run and um, and, and like I say, with a few of those senior players that we do still have on our list, um, a couple of those returning to their best form is, is really exciting. So I think with our, our best side out there, we, um, we we feel we should be competitive, and that's that's really what it is for us it's to, um, to be in every game that we're that we're playing in and bring our fans and members along to, to the footy and want them to come and watch us again because it's probably been a couple of dire years for those those guys in the stands as well. So I think the brand of footy is what we're chasing in our identity, and uh, whether it's our best 22 or we, we've got a few injuries and we're We've got some young fellas, young fellas playing as well that, that identity shouldn't change, and that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, and in a perfect world, no player doesn't think they can make the eight at this stage of the year. So in a perfect world, I know you're not going to state, hey, we will or we won't, or that's our pass mark. But in your own mind, you do believe that a sharp improvement is possible and the miracle could, could actually eventuate if you get things right? Oh, mate, I, I am, yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm really optimistic, and, and I, I think everyone at this time of year is really excited by how they're training and the way they're looking. So I'm not sort of falling into uh, any disillusions there. But, uh, mate, there, there is a, there's a much better feel, like I said earlier on, uh, around the footy club. There's a lot of energy. And uh, the best part about it is we're seeing some of our best players shine again, which is which is really nice. So um, I, I'm not going to put a ceiling on it either, mate. So the, the expectation mm. is just to, to build and grow and, and uh, win more games than what we have previously. But there, there's absolutely no ceiling on it. And I think our best footy will be, will be really, really competitive. Have you seen anything like Harley Mania before? No, I haven't. I haven't, and uh, there's been a, there has been a lot, uh, a lot of hype around him. And the one thing about Harley is he's he 
probably proving why at the moment on the training track. So he's, uh, yeah, he's a class above. And, and what he's been able to do as an 18-year-old, albeit at um, training match simulation style stuff, it's, uh, yeah, he, he's been super impressive and, and he's handled all the hype really well too. He's, uh, he's a country kid. He's pretty laid back, but he's, he's keen to get down to work and he's, uh, yeah, he's starting his stuff out, out on the park at the moment. With the focus, do you think, wear him down if he's not careful, Liam? Because everything he does, every time he goes to the shop, I mean, it's all analysed. If he, if he doesn't play a minute of a practice game, it's analysed why. So is it, gonna, is, it, is it dangerous that it might wear him down? Uh, oh, mate, I think it's, uh, it probably can be dangerous. A lot of it's out of our control, out of his control. And uh, I, I think that's where um, we look at what we can control. And that's probably... Uh, how we treat Harley in here, and um, the, the media will do what they want to do with him, and obviously they're they're pretty excited by by the prospect as well. But yeah, I think that that comes back down to how we treat him inside the four walls, and I think any player will uh, will say this once you, once you get in, you're actually you're just another part of the team, you're a player, and that's exactly what Harley's wanted to do. He's, he's sunk his teeth into being a member of the team, and um, so we'll treat him no differently to, to Jeremy McGovern or another one of his draftees, Clay Hall, or those sort of players. So we're we're keeping a pretty even keel in here for him because there is a lot of noise going on outside. Do you read all the front pages? Do you read all the WA newspapers, listen to the radio stations, or do you f- do you have a filter process that you go through as well every now and then? You think, nah, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I, I do. I try not to, mate, a lot, but I uh, it's it's a little bit hard sometimes over here. It can be uh, in your face a little bit, and stepping into this new role as well, I, I suppose I'm a little bit more involved with uh, some of that media side as well. So. Um, you, you do happen to come across it, but yeah, certainly uh, I heard all the stories about Harley being in the paper, you know, three weeks in a row on the back page or whatever it might have been. But uh, yeah, I, I try to stay away from it as much as I can. But yeah, at, at the same time, it, it does get shoved in your face a little bit. So you just got to uh, yeah, take it, uh, take it for what it is, and uh, and get on with what we're doing here. Because you have your own segment on another, on another radio station, or well, you did. Are you still going to do that? So you are you are part of the inflaming of it, I suppose, in, in some yep. respect. But we do want to hear from players like you on a regular basis. Yeah, well, that's that's part of the... Uh, I suppose it's not a battle. It's a, it's just part of the balance, I suppose. It's um, Obviously, that we, we've heard over the last few years that the, the fans and uh, the media would, would love more player access. And uh, sometimes the players can, can probably put the walls up a little bit. But um, certainly, there's, yeah, no, there's, there's times where it is really important. I think that... that engagement with the fans and the members and um, the wider community is, is really important and I think that's why the sport around the world is starting to head so uh, yeah there, there's plenty of, of boys here that'll have regular radio spots that's part of being over in WA as well there's, there's probably opportunity for a lot more players at, at the two teams to, to be involved in the media so um, part of that as well is, is you, you get to write the story a little bit yourself too so mm. um, there are there are some pros and cons of that as well. And the weight on the players shoulders I mean Simo's well, it doesn't hinge on whether you get a decent win-loss ratio, but it does feel like his job hinges on what you guys deliver this year. Yeah, I, I suppose, uh, yeah, it, it, Simo would never tell us that. Um, we're, we're really keen to play for him and play a lot better than what we have, and um, part of that is he's looking forward to the future, and he, he's really excited by the list coming forward, especially like with those 2222 that, that I've spoken about. But, um, yeah, certainly we, we need to produce a little bit more for, for Simo and, um, yeah, he deserves that from us. So we'll be doing everything we can out there. And uh, I'm, I'm going to sort of side with him here and, and not give you a win-loss ratio. But yeah, we, we certainly we're looking to bounce back. Yeah, there's a believable, genuine positivity in your voice, Liam. So it's nice to hear it. Great to have a chat, to you. I really appreciate you giving me some time, and uh, I'll let you get back to whatever's going on in that Harley Mania state of yours. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Appreciate it, mate. <laughs>
There you go. Liam Duggan, a West Coast Eagle on SEN Afternoons. We are done for the week, Adam Cooney. Woohoo! What's on for a you? cold one. What's on for you for the weekend? Uh, I'm going to the Twilight Polo tomorrow. In oh, Saint really? <laughs> yes. Wow. Uh, always Wasn't expecting follower. that. Avid follower of the, oh, of the of Polo. I have been for many years, so I'll catch up with uh, Gil McLaughlin and, <laughs> and, and the like. So that'll be a bit of fun. Well, that's thrown me. That's thrown <laughs> me. I've got junior cricket in the morning. I've got my own cricket in the afternoon. I've got junior tennis on Sunday morning and cricket again in the afternoon. Well, so it's that's, your own that's fault good. for having children. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Have a good weekend. We've had a lot of fun this week. Uh, it's been good fun. I love it. Adam you Cooney, too, mate. Adam Cooney there with us uh, on Sports Day. You too, listening. Have a great weekend. We'll do it all again next week.